Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show clusterfuck. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G. With me is none other than Mikey Maximus, the Fernicus, Florida-born and Florida-bred, Las Vegas for now and Hawaii mm. in his head, giving the mic because he's <laughs> about to bust, talking crazy because he's high on Cinnadust, Charette. Say what? What? Wow. Yeah. That was that was awesome. Thank you. I'm yeah. happy to be here. Yes. What an intro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, that one was inspired last night. I was just, I was sitting there and, you know, I was thinking about your trip to Hawaii and I was like, he's from mm-hmm. Florida and it just, it, it, what can I say? Lyrical Gotta magic. Gotta dust in there. Yeah. <laughs> Lyrical magic. What can I say? Mike, how's the week nice. going? It's, uh, it's great so far. I got, okay, uh, I know I sent you the picture of yeah. the sound studio corner. It's looking good. It's looking it's, good, it's, man. It's very pr- quiet. Progress, progress. <laughs> We're trying, um, Mike. Now you you've been on the show long enough to know that uh, when I make a promise on this show to the listeners and to yourself, that promise is kept. Oh yeah, about forty two percent of the time. Wait, what? So you know, like uh, somewhere around there. I, honestly, sometimes I overpromise. Sometimes it's hmm. a big thing, and I'm like, okay, that didn't happen. You know, it happens. Um, I still have the I still have the promise on the table, though. If a international city listens more to a domestic city, they're number one on our city listening list. We will have a live show. There. That's a fact. I will okay. travel to that place and have a live show. It hasn't okay. happened yet, but if Frankfurt wants to do it. If Dublin wants <laughs> to do it, if Barcelona wants to do it, we will go. Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, scary, if it's like, if it's like North Korea, I I will do it from South Korea, looking in the direction of North <laughs> Korea. What? I'm not even. I, I don't even know if we're like banned in North Korea. Could be. We're. I mean, we're a pretty rebel radio show, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, who knows? Uh, but anyways, the promise that I was talking about, Mike, last week I told you about a segment that we hold near and dear on this show, which is. Why weddings suck. Mm. Yes. 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 Now, uh, Mike, as you could imagine, this segment highlights the many aspects of why weddings suck. So true. That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I highlight how some people just seem to overlook all of these crappy things and still have weddings. Um, mm. So when I was preparing for this segment this week, Mike, the first thing I did, I went to the not dot com okay you know, yeah symbolizing you know tying the knot wait it's what a, is that t- yeah what the, is that the knot the knot t-h-e-k-n-o-t the knot okay tying the knot you know and uh now on the knot they had a quiz that was going to help me determine how i defined my wedding vision hmm. so <laughs> I was fully prepared to take the quiz and get my results of zero wedding vision, <laughs> but you had to put in your email. Oh. And I was like, oh. I didn't want their skanky wedding stuff <laughs> trashing up my email, so I had to move on, Mike. Uh, ah. But fear not. I quickly found two stories 
that highlighted the reasons weddings suck. Awesome. So, so the first Please one, <laughs> well, the first one is, it's a big one. So the first one, here's the headline. It's from BuzzFeed. And uh, mm. it literally, just a couple days ago, the article was published just a couple days ago. Uh, quote, 40 women talk about what they would have changed about their wedding. And I've never considered some of these. That's the title. That's the title. <laughs> okay. So when I read this, Mike, I was like, so you're telling me in this situation, these 40 partners that are married to these wives, not only did they have to go through the wedding in the first place, but for the rest of their lives, they have to hear how they could have made that day mm. a little less lamb. That is horrible. That yeah. is absolutely horrible. But. I went through. I read all 40. Can you believe it, Mike? I took the time. <laughs> all 40. Yes! Um, and I want to highlight a couple of my favorites. Uh, these are just a highlight of why, you know what? Probably shouldn't have a wedding. Nope. That's what these highlight. <laughs> um, so here's the first one. This wife says, quote, uh, I would have chosen different bridesmaids. I had six. Two are still in my life, and four left in two separate shitty incidents. Hmm. I hate most of my wedding photos now. I've been married for six years, and I don't speak to any of them anymore because of their <laughs> antics in the years that followed my <laughs> wedding. It hurts like <laughs> and I'm off about it. Huh. Yeah. That's Yeah, that's really unfortunate. Yeah. You know, you, could, you can hire people to photoshop those people out <laughs> you could you go but like if, if you're married to her every time she walks by one of those pictures you got to hear about how anna is mm. a crazy pirate like that, yeah. nobody that that partner that guy is sitting there like oh god oh can i just hide the pictures maybe if i just put them somewhere like nope. and then on top of that though she used the term antics hmm. <laughs> like which is funny it sounds yeah, well, funny well like i don't want to be friends with anybody that feels the need to describe someone's actions as <laughs> antics like <laughs> just say they were being turds like who are you the queen of england <laughs> antics antics <laughs> really i don't know anyways that's that's a reason why weddings suck mike right there yeah Her. there hey. you go that's why weddings Suck. Um, it's a good one. 15. This is number 15. Quote, my best friend got married in August. Interestingly, she said that she would have eloped and had more of a party or gathering after. She wishes that she saved money and instead put the ceremony money toward a nicer honeymoon uh, than one that they're going on, than the one that they're going on. End quote. Yeah. <laughs> Do you hear that, listeners? This lady said straight up, man, wish I wouldn't have done that. So true. <laughs> that, Essentially, yeah. Yeah. That, that's not jokes, guys. That's just evidence. No. That is just evidence of, wow, that was a bad decision. Mm -hmm. that, that's it. That's it. I don't have anything else on that one. So just mark that down in your list of notes, and we'll move on. That's why weddings suck. Uh, it, seems, number, it seems like a pretty common. It, sorry, it seems like a pretty common thing though. People oh, would yeah. rather have just spent more money on par, like 
you know. Oh yeah. And the and I'll uh, the second story after this BuzzFeed mic, the, it'll really get you going on that one. Yes! It'll really well, you you'll be you'll be surprised. Yes! Uh number 18. Quote, I wouldn't have drunk so much. Huh? I had loads <laughs> of fun, which is good, but I wish I'd been a little bit soberer. Word. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know about that one. Yeah, we got Annie the alcoholic getting married here. Frank, <laughs> Frank, can you believe we're doing this? We're getting married, bro. One more shot. One more <laughs> shot before we go up there. Me and you together. We're getting tanksies. Here we go. Like, nothing says fun like taking care of the alcoholic bride. Wham. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Horrible. Another reason. Another reason. Here we go. That's why weddings suck. Number mm -hmm. 23, quote, actually save our vows. Huh? I have zero copies of it, and neither of us remember what we said. End mm. quote. Mike, let me just say, this epitomizes to me why weddings suck. Hmm. This is the exact right. I guarantee you these people have an invitation framed. They've got a piece of wedding cake saved. They've got a wedding dress in some vault in the attic. And mm -hmm. then the vows, the thing that's supposed to mean the most, the thing that everybody is there for, and the reason this thing is taking place in the first place, mm -hmm. they were like, you just want to wing these? Let's see what happens. <laughs> nah, who cares? We'll just fill in some words. Like, what? It's ridiculous. Yeah. So bad. You should have that framed. The vowel should be framed. Exactly. None of the other <laughs> stuff. It should have been yeah. you and your 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 partner on a you know, street corner saying these things to each other with nobody mm -hmm. there. And then you'd be like, we'll remember these forever. Yeah. Uh, th just as meaningful. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's why weddings suck. Anyways, number 24, uh, quote, I would have gotten a dress that made me feel like a goddess. Mm. Mine was pretty, but white isn't my color, and it could have been better, end quote. Word. Mike. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this bride doesn't look good in any color. Nope. I'm gonna go ahead and say that. <laughs> and if she really wants to, she can look at herself in the mirror all day because she's the only one that effing cares about that. All right. So true. <laughs> Why are you so self-centered, you turd? You shouldn't be allowed to have a wedding, anyways. Good lord. That's ridiculous. Who wrote that? I'd be ashamed <laughs> if I was that person. I would. I would contact BuzzFeed and be like, I'll pay you $100 to take my name off of that. I look so horrible <laughs> saying that. Like, it's, uh, shameful. Shameful, Mike. That's why weddings suck. Uh, 30. It is. There it is. 30. This is a good one. I'll go ahead and preface it. This one, uh, I, I can't argue with. So here we go. Quote. I would have gotten a massage. Hmm. End quote. Hmm. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Only regret. Okay. And I mean, I, I can't argue with it, especially if she's saying she'd get the massage in lieu of the wedding. Like, mm. you know, if she was just getting a massage and saying, you know what? No wedding. How about we just get massages? Yeah. Like, that definitely mm -hmm. sounds like a better time to me. 
and it mm. doesn't waste any of your <laughs> friends' time or money. So nope. that's nice, you know. Uh, here we go. Here's a good one. 36. This is the last one that I want to review here. 36. Quote, set firm boundaries. My husband and I decided that we would invite our immediate family via Zoom to witness the ceremony. Word. My father-in-law took it upon himself to send the Zoom link to other relatives, which included distant relatives and people I've never met. Huh? End quote. Hmm. <laughs> so, so, so first of all, Mike, they're all on Zoom. Who the F cares? Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Like, yeah, mute, mute them all. You could have 10 million <laughs> people on Zoom. It'd still look like one computer screen. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Second, who are these distant relatives that actually showed up mm. on Zoom? Mm. Like, that father Lolan tells me about the wedding. No chance <laughs> clicking on that link. Like, <laughs> none. Yeah. Uh, I th no there's like a 15% chance I'd even email the father-in-law back and be like, cool, thanks for letting me know. Like, <laughs> probably wouldn't even do that. That's crazy, man. No. Nope. Crazy. All nah. evidence of why weddings suck, Mike. That's why weddings suck. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Now, here's the second story of why weddings suck. This comes from uh, thebestlifeonline.com. Now, uh, bestlifeonline.com found a very revealing study, Mike. Uh, according mm. to a study by Social Science Research Network, recently married couples who spent more than $20,000 on their wedding were 46% more likely to split than those mm. who spent around $5,000 to $10,000. Additionally... Mm. Recently married couples who spent $1,000 or less on their wedding were 54% less likely to get divorced compared to those who spent $5,000 to $10,000 on the <laughs> wedding. So do you notice a trend here, Mike? Do you notice the trend? Yeah, the more you overcompensate, the uh, more likely it is you will get divorced. Exactly. The more likely you are to hate the person you're with, right? Exactly. Now, they didn't mention it, Mike, but I'm willing to extrapolate that if they research couples that got married without a wedding, those people are the happiest people on the planet and live mm -hmm. in a perpetual orgasm for the rest of their life. <laughs> Just a thought, Mike. I think that's, I think that's what they're saying. I think that's what it's they're true. saying. It's true. I would say I would I would be interested in that study. Yeah. Very interested. Yeah. To see the results. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised by what you I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the results were exactly what you said. Amen. Too. Amen. Amen. Now now, Mike, <laughs> that I have clearly laid out a good reminder of why weddings suck. Are you ready to fire up this show? Yes, sir. Uh I do. <laughs> All three engines up and burning. Two, one. Zero and lift off. Nice. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, we have a fantastic show, Mike. We have none other than Robert Allen, the leader of a fantastic musical project known as Downtown Mystic. He's been making music since the 70s. He's been mm. in it. He's been in it. He's been doing it. Nice. He's seen it all, done it all. He's the OG. Yeah. That's right. First, we need to start, though, where we start. The birthday suit. Mm. Happy birthday. 
Mm, now, uh, <laughs> this uh, birthday... I think he got this one. I think he got All this right. one. All right. We'll see. Um, we'll see. Born on December 8, 1982, in Port of Spain, Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, her father was a financial executive, and her mother was a gospel singer. Father had a substance abuse issue and burned down their house in 1987. Jeez. Her birthday suit wearer, as a result, predominantly grew up at her grandmother's house in St. James. Then, at a young age, they moved to New York. She wanted to get into acting from a young age. In 2004, though, she started rapping got involved in several different groups. By 2010, she made her first appearance on the Billboard Hot 100 chart uh, with her featured raps on Knockout and uh, Up Out My Face. She appeared yeah. on Bedrock that same year with Lil Wayne and Young Money. She then appeared on Kanye West's Monster single. She released her first album in 2010 titled Pink Friday, she then released her second album, Pink Friday, Roman Reloaded. Then she released The Pink Print in 2014, and finally Queen in 2018. Recently, she made big news by making comments on Twitter that her cousin had a friend in Trinidad whose testicles became swollen, and he became impotent after using the COVID-19 vaccine. What? Name mm. that birthday suit wearer. Rihanna. No. What? Oh, what? No. Not Rihanna. Not Rihanna. Oh, wow. Come on, Mike. Come on. I can't believe it. That, in, <laughs> I was so in, sure. In I was M. about to say her bad girl Riri. In, <laughs> NM. so confident. Who you got? Wait, who is it? NM. Wait, NM. Wow. Yeah, I got no idea. I got nothing. Oh, you'll know when I say it. Nicki Minaj. <laughs> Ah, uh, Nicki Minaj. I did not know she was from Trinidad. Yeah, and come on, Mike. I did know about the controversy, though. I, I heard about the controversy. I was just like, Rihanna said that? <laughs> you just filed it away for the wrong person. That's crazy. Rihanna uh, shouldn't have done that. Rihanna's from Barbados, man. Barbados. She, yeah, she, she is from... Uh, she became, she became uh, like, uh, like she's she's not like royalty, but they sort of made her royalty. I forget what they... Hmm. They, they, they entitled her the right excellent. That's her... Word. That's, hmm. that's her title now, is the right excellent. So now she's re, 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 <laughs> and, uh, I guess, right? But this is Nicki okay. Minaj. She is turning 39 for Nikki. Almost hmm. out of the 30s for Nikki. There you go. I mean, no offense yeah. to Nikki, but aside from that uh that whole testicle debacle, uh she hasn't really been making too much news. Nope. I mean, on the mm -mm. on the music front, you know? I mean, yeah. that last album was 2018. It's been a while, you know? Yeah, wow. I mean, I, didn't know that. I mean, Rihanna hasn't been making much uh music news, but like, you know, she's got a she got a clothing brand and makeup brand. She got like millions and millions of dollars from that stuff. Yeah, right? she's Rihanna. It's like a totally different, you and know. And she shows up seemingly to every single basketball game ever in the NBA. So, mm -hmm. you know, so true. I don't really get like every time you're just like, what? Again? You're there? What are you? I wish I had your life. That seems nice. Uh, anyways, happy birthday to Nicki Minaj turning 3-9. There we go.
There we go. Nicki Minaj. Uh, Mike. Happy birthday. Are you ready? Rip some headlines. Yes, sir. It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. Okay, Mike. uh, Interesting one out of Maryland. A man in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, recently burned down his house. Hmm. (laughs) Apparently, this man didn't burn down his house on purpose. Nope. This man burned down his house because he was trying to manage a snake infestation. Word. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He apparently tried to use smoke from coals, (laughs) burning coals, to fight the snakes in his house on Big Woods Road near Poolsville, Maryland. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, the fire broke out around 10 p.m., officials said. 75 firefighters were called to the fire. And it's believed that the fire caused an estimated $1 million in damage. This is a nice house. This is a nice house. Ah. Um, The spokesman for the fire department said, quote, there were no human injuries, but we list the snake status as undetermined. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so much more so much information in such a little story mike uh mm-hmm. first i gotta ask how confident are they that there were actually snakes hmm. like how, True. how confident are they that this guy wasn't high on pcp like mm-hmm. i mean it's a snake infestation in december in maryland Really? Yeah. Really? Like, if this was a snake infestation in New Mexico in July, okay, I could, I could maybe see yeah, that. You got a bunch sense. of, got a bunch of rattlers in your basement. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the climate, Maryland <laughs> in December, really? Mm, yeah. And then on top of that, like, there's only like two poisonous snakes in all of Maryland. I'm not even sure if there are two. Like. So what's the deal? You just got a bunch of, like, corn snakes down there? I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. Girl, come on! Second, is his house the site of an opening to Like, who has an infestation of snakes anyways? Like, that's so weird in general. Like, (laughs) this just doesn't happen. Yeah. And third, before you list the snake status as undetermined, don't you think you should just verify? I mean, that's sort of reckless by the spokesman. Come on. You can't just say yeah. it's undetermined. You're, you you should have said the snake's the existence is still undetermined. Uh, <laughs> fourth, 75 firefighters? Huh? Seems like uh-huh. way too many firefighters for one house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are these all paid firefighters? Or are these like volunteer? Because if it's volunteer, yeah, probably. you know, okay. But, like, you know, I'm just saying, if this really was an infestation of snakes, I think maybe Montgomery County might want to put more money into pest control instead of firefighting. Mm-hmm. Might be a better use of money. But, anyways, just saying. Mike, I don't know. watch out. Make sure your uh, <laughs> apartment is not full of snakes. Make sure you. Oh, uh, we're on the second floor. Okay. So, well, you and never we purposefully know. Purposefully bought second floor, so no scorps. You never. No rattlers. You never know. Those Those folks can climb. They can climb. They may oh, not yeah? have they may not have arms, but they can climb, man. 
They can mm. they can go. I have seen a snake go right up the side of a wall. I've That's seen a fact. It. Really? I've seen it with my own eyes. They can grip on. They got little their scales. But rattlesnakes, though, those are the those are the concerning ones. I didn't think that they uh, eh, evolved. I, to... I don't think I don't think rattlers are big on climbing. They're, I mean, obviously they don't <laughs> go through trees. You know, they're usually you find <laughs> yeah. them under rocks, and they just they I, yeah. they have one of the best faces for always looking <laughs> off. Like yeah, when they you, do. they just look like you son of a yeah. bee. Why are you beside me right now? Like they just have that fixed angry eye and just how do they do that? No eyebrows, no nothing. Nothing. They still look angry. Oh man, they look like they're coming at you. You know. I mean, if I wanted a Furious. mean face, I'll learn from a rattlesnake. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, we move on to a devastatingly stupid story out of Arizona. Sweet. Um, National attention was brought to Paradise Valley Unified School District Board meeting last week. Uh, There were several parents protesting the meeting. Now, they were protesting Hmm. because they had caught wind or caught word that there was an (laughs) AP English class at Horizon High School that gave students the option of reading the book so you've been publicly shamed. Word. That's the title of the hmm. book. So you've been publicly shamed. Apparently, parents were upset because in the book, when they're talking about this sort of idea of being publicly shamed and being canceled and this whole deal, there are contents that relate two stories, one about pornography and one about bestiality. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Now, there was a lot of back and forth on details of whether or not this book, you know, should be shown to kids and whatnot. But this is my favorite part of the story, Mike. Some of the parents protesting, when the news asked them, told the news they didn't have students at Horizon High School, and they also hadn't read the book in question. Mm-mm. No way. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> I want to protest. Uh, uh, Time for reading uh, or being a part of the story. Dumb. (laughs) Who wants to do that? First of all, before I get to the last statement, though, if you are parents in Arizona and you do have kids at this high school, I would first be worried about my kids actually reading the effing book. That's a fact. Okay, like, I'm guessing 50% of these students didn't read more than a page of that book. Mm-mm. They no asked their friends and said, "Hey, it, it, what happened in this book?" And the other friend was <laughs> like, uh, "People got canceled." And they're like, "Cool, I think I can BS my way through a two-page paper about that." Got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, and second, if your students have a phone, they have access to ten thousand times nastier things than what's in that book. So. Mm-hmm. You might want to go ahead and ban their phone for life, too, if that's the case. Just just a thought. Uh, now, let's get back to the protesters that didn't have kids in the school and they hadn't read the book either. Mm-hmm. That That's like if you live with somebody and you come into the living room and your roommate's screaming at the TV like, Man, LeBron James sucks. I can't stand that guy. <laughs> they should throw him out of the NBA. And you're like, what? Do you not like the way he plays? And your roommate's like, well, I don't watch the NBA, and I've never seen him play, but the way people describe him, oh, God, it f***ed me off. Woo! 
I don't <laughs> like why? Why do you even care? You have no association with this book or the students. Makes no sense, mm-hmm. Mike. No sense. Yeah, I know. Don't get it. Like, don't get it at all. Um, they got to find an enemy. They don't have any enemies. They got they one. Any, there's no threats in their life, so they got to create. They've threats. got one. Books, <clears throat> knowledge. <clears throat> A-hole knowledge trying to creep into their kid's brain. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Mike, let's go to a story that should have surprised absolutely no one, but somehow it still made national news everywhere. I don't know if you heard this one. Uh, Joel Osteen. You know Joel Osteen? Yeah, the... uh the preacher. The, the, uh, yeah, the evangelist. The yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Evangelist. Well, hey, what's the difference? I don't know what that is. Uh, you know, uh, televangelist is you're on the uh, uh, on the TV spreading the word mm-hmm. of God. Right. Right. An evangelist sure. is just spreading the word of God. You're just promoting. Oh. So, you know. Okay. You know, most most preachers would be evangelists in some way, you know. Okay. Anyway. Gotcha. Um, just a little... Definition <laughs> categorization there, guys. Thank you yeah. For mm-hmm. always doing that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Um now <laughs> community college. <laughs> it's anyway. Indirect. Indirect. I like it. <laughs> Free tuition. It's yeah. great. Um now uh most people know him and I you know, I don't uh I, I'm still surprised how people are are blown away by the fact that this guy's a money hungry televangelist. You're like, really? That's what he does for his like grifting. That's all he does. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you surprised? Anyways, uh, his church, Lakewood Church in Houston, um, they hired a plumber at the church. And the plumber was fixing a toilet at Lakewood Church, and he had to remove the toilet from the wall. He had to pull it off from the wall to fix the pipe. And uh, when he did, about 500 envelopes fell out of the wall full of money and checks. Yeah, yeah. Now, awesome. Now, coincidentally, Mike, the church had reported six hundred thousand dollars stolen from the church uh, during a quote unquote break in in two thousand fourteen. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Now. A- yeah. Interesting. After the plumber found this, uh, the church put out a statement said, uh, "Quote: Recently, while repair work was being done at the Lakewood Church, uh, an undisclosed amount of cash and checks were found." Lakewood immediately notified the Houston Police Department and is assisting them in their investigation. Lakewood has no further comment at this time. Uh, I'm surprised. They fixed the leak? <laughs> I think. Uh, I'm surprised. Was that what was causing, causing all the problems? It was. All the money in the wall? That was the big know. thing. It was, it was uh, <laughs> somehow not helping the pipes. Uh, I'm... <laughs> I'm surprised that statement didn't end with uh, the undisclosed cash definitely wasn't $600,000 we stuffed in the wall in 2014. (laughs) And we definitely didn't report it stolen after that. We have no further comment. Nope. Uh, I was thinking about this. I felt bad for the plumber in this situation, Mike. Um, Yeah. Because, like, if you're the plumber, right, you're just zoning out one day. You get called over to a church. You're probably jamming on some tunes. Yeah, you know, I don't know what plumbers listen to. I like to, <laughs> I like to think maybe they're listening to Britney Spears work. That's what mm, they're listening okay. to, and he's just in the zone cranking the toilet out, you know. And all of a sudden, six hundred thousand dollars falls out of the wall, and he's like, oh, oh, d-. like 
That's like <laughs> fixing a toilet at a mafia leader's uh, house and like a bunch of evidence falls out of the wall and you're like, <laughs> oh, no worries. I didn't see anything. All I saw was a leaky toilet. Please don't kill me. Like, just, you don't want to be in the middle of that. You're just a, you're just a plumber, man. You're just <clears throat> trying to get your day done, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're just trying to do your job. And lastly, but- I'm not saying the church put the money in the wall. But obviously the church put the money in the wall. That's a fact. Like, yeah. I mean, come on. You're telling me somebody stole the money in 2014. Then instead of just taking it to their house or burying it in their backyard, they were like, you know what? Mm. How about we come up with an elaborate scheme where we bring in a drywall kit to the church. We cut a hole in the wall, stash it in the bathroom, all the while no one else in this mega church will notice us doing this. Then we'll seal the hole drywall over it at a professional level so nobody notices that this wall has been altered and we'll keep the money there forever (laughs) how does that sound huh huh like i don't know that doesn't seem too likely mike doesn't yeah doesn't seem doesn't seem very likely at all and lastly on top of that uh like you're telling me the church took that money though and they didn't have the foresight to say hey we're getting that toilet fixed Mm. you think we should move the money we've stashed in the wall just in case (laughs) nah should be fun (laughs) like just i mean you know just like i don't know seems a little i mean every angle of this seems weird mike every angle yeah every yeah it's I don't know. What can you There's do? Mega churches and it, yeah. money. Mm. Nah, it's all done. Uh, it's too much. I'm going to keep my opinions to myself. It's too much. I'm going to keep my opinions. You, you, we, let them, <laughs> we let them flow on this show, Mike. We let them flow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, I just like yeah, you, mega church, the televangelists. The, it, it's shady. Sketch. Shady is what well, big we'll keep it very shady it's a, a shady scam private seems. yeah oh yeah oh Chanel suits oh you, you know what mike i'm gonna do a follow-up tax exemptions <laughs> we had a we had a we had a great story about this one guy that bought his wife a lambo back on the uh uh back on the show a uh a televangelist that bought his wife a lambo and uh and surprisingly some of the folks in the congregation weren't too happy about it Uh, Hmm. And you know what? I never followed up on that. So I am following up on a story that was like literally two years ago. So something had to have (laughs) happened by then. Anyways, we are going to take a break. We're going to hear from our guest Robert Allen in his project, The Downtown Mystic. This is Lost and Found right here on the Doc G Show. Sit back and see 
And we are back here on the Doc G Show, Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP, 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Listeners, as a Christmas present to all of your relatives, or Hanukkah, it's it's past now, I think. I think we've finished all the days of Hanukkah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, But regardless, uh, a late present for Hanukkah. Uh, or an early present for Christmas. That's a fact. Go steal your friends' or relatives' phones or computers and subscribe to the Doc G Show. That's right. Then, <laughs> on Christmas, you'll be like, hey, I got you a present. And you'll just open up their computer or phone, and boom, there's my annoying voice on their phone. And they're like, <laughs> oh, my God, you got me this a-hole? And they'll, you'll be like, yeah. Yeah, that guy. And you'll be like, oh, Christmas miracle. That's what will happen. That's what will happen, Mike. I think it's a good idea, don't yeah, you? I think it sounds nice. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's thank the regulars here. Here are the regular cities. Shout out. Shout out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Radford, Virginia, Gainesville, Florida, Ashburn, Virginia, Boardman, Oregon, San Diego, California, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, Peoria, Illinois, Richardson, Texas, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Winfield, West Virginia, Dublin, Ireland, Barcelona, Spain, Anoka, Minnesota, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Genoa, Italy, Columbus, Georgia, Frankfurt, Germany, and Piracai, Brazil. Shout yes. Nice. Yes. Got two Brazil locations. That makes me happy. It makes me happy. Guys in Brazil, If I, I would love it if you guys beat out the domestic listens and we had to do a show in Brazil. Shout out. I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. I would. Are you kidding me? We would be down there. We would be with the big statue, Jesus. We would. Oh, yeah. We would. We would, right there in Rio, we'd be right at the open arms Jesus statue, right at the bottom <laughs> is where the Doc G show would, would uh, yeah. and I'd immediately get struck by lightning. That's a fact. Oh, mm-hmm. shouldn't Probably. have been here. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. Semi-regulars. Shout out. Shout out to Great Falls, Montana, Hamilton, Bermuda, Palm Coast, Florida, Louisville, Kentucky, Indianapolis, Indiana. Los Angeles, California, Denver, Colorado, Toms River, New Jersey, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Charlotte, North Carolina, New Mexico City, Mexico, Moscow, Russia, and Dartmouth, Canada. Shout out. Yes. Yeah, some good places, some good internationals there, you know? Yeah. I'm always it's a it's a you know, a a place I gotta check off my my cities that I've been to. I wanna go to Mexico City at some point in time. That's a fact. You know? Why is that? It's busy. It's one of the world's biggest cities. I like to you. I like. I like to see the high density urban areas. You know, yeah. I don't really want to live there that much. No, but, uh, I want to see it. I want. I want to hang. That's the biggest city. One of the biggest cities in the world, Mexico City. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's right up there. You know, it's right hmm. up there with Sao Paulo and New York City and Hong Kong. All wow. the all the biggies. Yeah. 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 It's wow. very dense. Very dense. And. It's like at, I don't know, I think it's like at 7,000 feet elevation or something like that. 6, really? 000. Yeah, it's up there. It's up wow. there. Because, uh, you know, every now and then the NFL tries the Mexico uh, games instead of like the, you know, the England games when they're trying to expand right. their viewing audience. And they'll have a game in uh, Mexico City and they're always like, oh man, players are having a hard time with the altitude. 
Really interesting. Yeah. I wonder how that affects them. I wonder. Oh, you it's, know. it's tough, man. They yeah. you you get you 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 can get. I mean, if they change the altitude too much, you can get altitude sickness from it. It can be rough. Yeah, it can be rough. Hmm. Uh, anyways, thank you to all the listeners that listen to the show, uh, Mike. I know you're well aware now of the segment "Why Wedding Suck." Yes. Um, Whenever we do this, I realized after we do that segment, it's, I mean, even though I feel like we're doing a service to the world, I also feel like our karma takes a little bit of a hit when mm. we, when we're so, when we're so negative Nancy on, yeah. on, uh, weddings. So I like to offset it. Okay. I like to offset like it with that. a positive story. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a segment we do called, Things that don't suck. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's nice. Right. Right. So, Mike, uh, things that don't suck. Things that don't suck. A list of consisting of Paul Rudd. And whatever the doc wants to say now. Uh, Mike, food waste is a big problem in the world. Yes. Right? Especially in America. Uh, we've got yeah, it's really bad. We've got roughly 38 million people in America that would be categorized as food insecure, and yet mm. one fourth of what ends up in our landfills is food. Jeez, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, we have thousands of restaurants and businesses that throw away food when it's not sold, when they don't get to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Enter yeah. Leah Lizarondo. Leah created 412 Food Rescue in 2015, which is an organization that redirects unused food from waste and landfills and directly uh, ships it to households and nonprofits. The organization hmm. uh, gives pickup locations and delivery destinations for all restaurants and volunteers. That's right. Over five years, she's grown a network of 20, 25,000 volunteer drivers in 15 cities that have helped turn 70 million pounds of food that was headed for the landfills into 57 million meals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, her her organization partnered with the Good Food Project, who is made uh, who makes their meals, creating zero waste, and also creates zero greenhouse emissions. Hmm. Yeah, they prevent waste by transforming the food into heat and eat meals that are only packaged in compostable containers. Okay. Yeah. They have already mitigated more than 30 million pounds of carbon dioxide as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like a lot. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. Compared what to what means, we're producing, it like it's lot. pretty small. But still, yeah. it's 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 a step in the right direction, Mike. And For sure. uh, Leah, I mean, think about it. Leah is working to help solve three of the biggest problems facing the world. Food waste, food insecurity, and the climate crisis all at once. Mm -hmm. All at once. Talk about something that doesn't suck, Mike. That yeah. is something that doesn't suck. Next time someone tells you about their wedding, you tell them about Leah, 412 Food mm -hmm. Rescue, and the Food Project, <laughs> and be like, how does that make your wedding look, you selfish a-holes? Right? <laughs> yeah, you go, Leah. You go. Things that don't suck, Mike. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Mike, couple quick stories. Couple leftover quick stories here, real quick. Um, first off, uh, big news in the cryptocurrency game. Uh oh. Yeah, have you invested in any cryptocurrency? Doctor, I guess you just don't. We don't talk about it, but cryptocurrency is like mm. my thing. That's your thing. That's like my thing. Oh man, yeah. you need to get you need to get with one of our former co-hosts, Demarcus. Hmm. He's all about oh, some cryptocurrency. Yes. He's big in the yeah. game. That's what he's all about. Let's talk about it. Me, <laughs> I'm old. That's right. Uh, I'm more into pirate coins and gold bars. Mm. That's what I'm into. Real, N- not really. Real. I don't. I'm not into anything. I have no money. Um, but that would be cool though if you had a pirate. Coin. It would be. That would be awesome I, I, in the studio. I might put one in here. You know what? I'm putting it down. I'm making a note. <laughs> pirate coin for the studio. <laughs> a real pirate yeah. coin. Oh yeah, we're getting a real one. Don't worry. I'm gonna waste a real whole, doubloon. I'm gonna waste a whole bunch of money on it. Don't worry. It's gonna be completely pointless. No use. Huge frame. Yeah. Tiny coin in the middle. Yeah. And you will be the only one that appreciates it. Everybody else will come in and be like, what the f- going? I'll be like, Mike likes it. I think it. everybody. A-hole. Nah. No? You think so? I think everybody okay. secretly wants doubloons. Yeah, who doesn't? Like, I, <laughs> and treasure. I mean, it's it's like the Louis C.K. stand-up. It's so satisfying to throw down a giant coin to pay for something. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Ba-ding! There you go. That's my payment. Like, how cool would that be to walk into Target and just throw that down at yeah. the checkout counter? And you don't even wait for change. You just throw it down. That's it. Take it and enjoy. Nope. Anyways, I got <laughs> sidetracked. The cryptocurrency Sorry. that we have new in the game and you need to invest in, Mike, hmm. it's Megadeth's cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Megadeth? Megadeth, the band. Ah, That's right. Nice. The metal band from the 90s, led by Dave Mustaine, has released their own cryptocurrency, mm. which apparently cool. offers special perks and benefits to fans who buy it, yeah. hold it, and trade it. Mm. Finally. Am I right, that Mike? That's awesome. I mean, yes. here I am. I've, I've been waiting. I've been holding out Bitcoin. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to wait yeah. until there's a name in the game I can trust. And boom, that day has finally Megadeth. happened. Yes. <laughs> Who doesn't trust their money in the form of Megadeth currency? Am I right? Just a mm-hmm. good one. Man, can't wait to buy up yeah. some Megadeth currency. It's going to be totally worthless in a year. Anyways, um, Mike, <laughs> real quick uh, story here uh, from Maryland. Uh, you know what? No, we don't have time. We're going to go to a break. You know what? Aww. I'm saving that story. Okay. We're going to come back with that story at some point in time. Maybe this week. Maybe maybe next week. I don't know. Fans, you're just going to mm. have to wait. I'll let you in on a secret, Aww. though. It's about insomnia medication and pills. So there you go. Oh, come on. Yeah, I know. I know. It's going to be a good one. But we have got to take a break. We have got Robert Allen waiting on the line. We're going to talk about Downtown Mystic. We're going to talk about Bruce Springsteen, Max Weinberg, and all kinds of other stuff right here on the Doc G Show. Doc G Show, because sometimes you need something playing in the background. 
every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on 99.5 FM, Spinnaker. This is 95.5 Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLPFM, UNF Jacksonville. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we are very happy to have a rock and roll veteran, producer, musician, artist, and leader of downtown Mystic, Mr. Robert Allen. Robert, how are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, Doc? Doing good. Doing good. First off, I got to ask, obviously, uh, just got over the uh, holiday season there. Good Thanksgiving? Good Thanksgiving. Um, ate too much, mm. <laughs> which I'm paying for now, yeah. but how about... How about you? Yeah, it wasn't bad. Are you a are you a Thanksgiving food type guy? No, no, I uh, I love turkey. Nice, um, nice. We do two things because we have uh, uh, the family uh, immediate family meets on Thanksgiving for the traditional turkey yeah. dinner, and then on Saturday, my wife's family has and she's got like you know twenty thirty people, mm-hmm. and she cooks a loin of pork. So. Mm. It's, um, yeah, it's really. Uh, I think I'd be like I said. The, the pounds just. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think I'd be bigger into the uh, the Saturday meal yeah. than the than yeah. the, t- the turkey meal. Uh, I don't know. I'm 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 a pork guy. I'll go for pork. Um, yeah, pork is great. Now, did you stay in uh, New Jersey for the holiday? Yes. Nice. Yeah, we uh, actually had the, our first uh, Thanksgiving at our new abode. So nice. uh, we had moved from uh, North Jersey in uh, February of uh, this year and uh, came down to the shore area in Tom's River, New Jersey. I'm oh. familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going. I was going to ask because I know you've you've been in Northern Jersey for you know uh, most of the most of your life there. I've got a couple of Jersey friends uh, from like Montville and Ramsey and all in that area. Uh, I was living in Hillsdale. Montville's like yeah. you know, one or two towns up from us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, well, I guess I got to ask though. Now, are you familiar? Because normally, uh, I, I love to ask the question for my guest. If I'm coming to your hometown and I ask you, I've got one place to eat. Where am I going to eat? Now I don't know if I should ask you for South Jersey or North Jersey. I feel like you are. Have you have you found the good places yet in in South Jersey? No, I haven't. We haven't uh, really. Uh, the, about the only place we've gone to is, and I, mean, I don't know if you have them down there called the the Longhorn uh, Steakhouse. Like the Longhorn Steakhouse. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they always have a great meal. And, yeah. Can't uh, complain. Can't complain. No, can't complain. Well, now if I go if I go to North Jersey, if I go to Hillsdale, what's your go to like local joint there that I should go to? Hmm. The local joint actually is, was right down uh, the street for me, it was called Cafe Capri, and now I think it's called Osa Buco. Mm. But they have a great they have a great meal there. Oh, I'm guess I'm guessing that's uh, Italian with Osa Buco yes. there. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's a good that's a that's a really good veal dish right there. I will. <laughs> <laughs> lose my mind on that one that one uh it's probably good that i don't live right beside it like you said i would probably gain a hundred pounds if i lived right beside that place um, yeah there's a lot of good eateries up there oh for sure for sure now you spent most of your life in new jersey and i hear you you spent almost as much time in music because i heard you you started really singing with your friends around uh around like five now was that yeah. <laughs> 
Now, was that like organized singing, or was that uh, like like in church or something like that, or was that just no, no, like doo wop? It, it was on the. It was literally on the street corner. Nice, nice. Yeah, um, I for some reason I just yeah from I, the earliest I can remember, and it's really weird to say this, but I can actually remember when there was a time when there was no such thing as rock and roll. No, yeah. That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, I mean, it's crazy to think, but I mean, that's, you, I think a lot of people forget how young rock and roll actually is. I mean, when you look at it as far as a, a music genre, it hasn't been around for a super long time. You know? No, I mean, you know, the radio was always on and, you know, you'd hear things like Sinatra and things like how much is that doggy in the, you know, yeah. Patty Page, these kind of mm -hmm. straight uh, kind of singers. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden one day there, the radio and everything, this this kid from Mississippi, <laughs> uh, you from know, Tupelo. I can't, I can't, and I actually don't remember him, but you know, there was actually before the Ed Sullivan show, yeah, he, he performed on a thing called the, the, the big show, the Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey were big brothers that from the, mm -hmm. the big band era mm -hmm. and they had a really big TV show, uh, in the mid fifties Yeah, and his performance, his coming on, he came on there before he played on the Sullivan show and yeah. I can't. I'm only like four or five at the time, and and I, I just remember all the adults talking about it. I can't, you know. Uh, yeah. But I, I didn't see it. Of course, I they wouldn't let me see something like that. He was too uh, too risque. Yeah. Yeah, too risque. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, now I heard I heard you started writing songs later. Like you started singing, and you got in to to writing songs around twelve or thirteen. And I've heard you mention before in interviews and whatnot, uh, being a big fan of the Beatles. Uh, but like you just mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Elvis was there, and your first band was the Tupelos. So, I, which one? Which one would you say got you into writing music? Was it one of the two? Was it Elvis or the Beatles, or was it somebody else? No, that it got was. You? It was definitely the Beatles. Uh, the yeah. Beatles came in. Uh, a month, actually, I Want to Hold Your Hand came out in January, it was 64, and I'm like 12 years old. Yeah. And for some reason, my mother bought me an acoustic guitar and guitar mm. lesson. Mm. I didn't ask for them, and I, and I think to this day she regrets it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> because, you know, once the Beatles hit, that was it. Yeah. I mean, not only me, but everybody in America. Every, of course. Uh, yeah. 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 It was crazy. It was so, a great time, though. It was really a great time. I, You know, you talk about music. I mean, that was the golden era. So it, did, it it didn't take long. I mean, you literally saw that, and then you know, less than a month later, you were trying to write songs? Uh, I No, it was about a year later when okay. I was actually now properly learning chords and all. And gotcha. As soon as, I, as soon as I had chords, I was starting to write songs with my cousin. Yeah. Yeah, now... Uh, speaking of the Beatles, uh, have you watched the newest documentary there? Oh, Get yeah. Back? Get yeah. Back. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. No, I, I still haven't. I've seen clips. I still need to sit down. I haven't had enough eight hours to actually sit down and, and watch the whole thing. But uh, it, it, It's amazing because that, you know, that let it be. I mean, the, the Beatles were always like perfection. It's like everything they did just seemed to be right on the money. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was like they could do no wrong until Let It Be came out, which is when they yeah. really had broken up. Yeah. And it was like, and, and that whole, 
you know, the the whole filming of it and all, it, it was mm-hmm. like, Lennon was just like, oh, get rid of it. We don't even want to listen to it. <laughs> they had this heart. And so you think that, oh, my God, they ended on this sour note. And then 50 years later, Peter Jackson comes yeah. up with this, with the, with all of this stuff. And you say, just, and it's perfection again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you couldn't you could ask for a, uh, something like this at this point in time. Yeah. But, you know, it's a great it's a great lesson for anybody looking to form a band and how collaboration works. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, it's really... Well, that's one of the reasons why I got out of my band, because it was like, no, forget about democracy. It's like, I want to do what I want to do. And you can see George saying that. And it's yeah. like, hey, you know, guys... I've got all these songs that I think if we if I just save them for the Beatles album, it's going to take me ten years to get them out. Oh, exactly. When you get in that when you get in that scenario, there's definitely tension. There's definitely grinding. You got to have a, a good relationship, and it's it's tough even for the Beatles. You get to see that backside, and I I can't wait to watch the 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 full documentary though. I'm I'm psyched. Um, yeah, no, it's cool, and you can see Paul is like you can see that. He's got it, the weight on his shoulders because it's like he's it's, he's like he's trying to herd cats. Yeah, you know he's yeah. got to get these other three guys together. Like, come on, guys, let's really concentrate and, and really do this. And oh yeah, it's uh, not right there at the beginning. Hundred um, percent. And it's amazing when it when it comes out on the roof. You're gonna you just you can't really believe that they it actually it happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely, definitely. Well, I mean, fast forward to after that of you actually starting your career. It was, I mean, you know, it was in the early seventies that you started performing. Yeah, because gigs. I go to college, and and really the, the the I always say that you know if you wanted a quick mention of my influences, it would be like Buffalo Springfield meets Rockpile. Mm. So there's this late 60s where, you know, at Buffalo Springfield, I mean, there's, out of them comes Crozier, Stills, Nash & Young, yeah. Poco. Mm-hmm. Of course, I got, my, I got a real love for Poco, and, and really they were the, the, the forefront of country rock before the Eagles really kind yeah. of perfected it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Flying Burrito Brothers, all that there in the early 70s, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so I was very much into acoustic and harmonies, and you know, like the, in college, I had—I uh, was telling this the other day that my roommate had heard the first John Prine album mm-hmm. in in late '72, and he flipped and he said, "I well, I got to book him here. I got to book him." So he books a show, and it's John Prine, mm-hmm. Bonnie Raitt, who had just put out her second album, mm-hmm. and Jim, the late great Jim Croce, mm-hmm. who was a Philly boy, and, and he's the biggest act on the bill, and he's going to open the show. And I said to him, you can't let Jim Croce, he's got two hit <laughs> singles right now. I yeah. said, Will, and, and our band, it was called Trilogy, we were pretty big on campus. I said, we'll do it for free, we'll open it up. And of course, I knew that because Croce was from Philly, big Philly station, WYSP, was going to record and play the show live. Yeah over the air. Yeah. So it was like we were going to open up for like over 2,000 people and a sold out gym and opening for Jim Croce and then then John Prine actually came on because Bonnie Raitt was uh, delayed from a snowstorm and she mm. was just coming in the back door when Prine was going on. Uh, and I was telling somebody it's really hard to believe that once upon a time acoustic music was really like top 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't even conceive of that now. Well and not only that, but the, so so different as far as that 
you know, as far as their influences between those three, you know, three artists. I mean, you you got such a wide sound from John Prine to Jim Croce. I mean, yeah, they both play acoustic, yeah, but you know, one of them is more rhythm, uh, rhythm and blues driven. The other, it's more country driven. Uh, you know, it, it, it's and and both of them can play on the same bill, and everybody's interested in seeing them play. You know, where oh it, yeah, and you can hear and you can hear a pin drop in the audience nice. when people were playing. That's how into it they were. Well, I was going to ask. I mean, in those early days when you were when you first started playing, I know you played some some big gigs like that, and you played at like CBGBs. What was your favorite place to play? CBGBs was a great place because um, our bass player's cousin managed Patty Smith, mm. who had just gotten signed. Yeah. from playing uh, CBs. Yeah. And, of course, at that time, Patty was like, you know, a, a goddess yeah. in, uh, to everybody in the punk world. Yeah. So, uh, and we played, she got us a couple of uh, uh, weeks opening for a guy called, it was called uh, David Patrick Kelly and Toivo. It was mm. T-O-I-V-O. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but he was, a, he was an acoustic guy. He had a band. He was an off-Broadway actor. And uh, all in white, very David David Bowie-ish kind of uh, songs. Yeah. But it turns out that of everybody that, and you know, we played CDs with Ramones and Blondie, but David Patrick Kelly, oddly enough, may have been the biggest star to to actually that we ever played with. Hmm. And David Patrick Kelly, a few years later, would become like the he was a little guy. I I don't think he was. You know, maybe he's five seven. Yeah. Uh, but he became the villain for all of the Sly S Stallone movies. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the with Twin Peaks. Oh yeah. There's the uh, mm -hmm. crazy. There's the the hotel owner is, is the you know he's a baddie and he has the crazy brother who's growing pot and all. Mm -hmm. The crazy brother is David Patrick Kelly. Yeah. If you. Nobody knows his name, but if you saw him, you go, oh, my God, that guy, he's been in, like, every movie yeah. in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and and you were you were performing with him back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, no. like 75, yeah. Nice. nice. Well, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Jim Croce, John Prine. Uh, who was who an artist when you first started playing, out, uh, playing and you either opened for or you were at the concert that you were just, you were blown away uh, in person, you couldn't believe they played the way they played in person. Like it, it, it um, stepped up. I didn't up. play the show, but it was uh, it was the Fillmore East. Mm. Uh, Elton John was uh, playing with Leon Russell. Mm. Yeah, and and that Wednesday, he he recorded eleven seventeen seventy the live album on uh, uh, New York Radio. Yeah, and that Friday, two days later. He's playing at the Fillmore East with Leon Russell. Yeah, and I, we were big Leon Russell fans. We didn't really know Elton. Yeah, and Elton comes out with just—it's just a drummer, a bass player, and Elton on piano. Yeah, and he blows the place away. Oh yeah. I mean, it was Leon Russell came out with like six, seven, eight people, and was unbelievable. But you were so blown away by by what Elton did that yeah. you just could not get into, you know, really get the, the real. And he was incredible. Yeah. And a week later, we were having our homecoming concert 
at college mm-hmm. with Poco headlining and a late edition is uh, Elton John. And I said, wait till you see this guy. He's mm-hmm. going to blow. And he did. It was, he, it was just amazing. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, he... He he did not come he did not come to America with the fanfare that uh, that the Beatles had that's for sure and uh, but no and at the time he has this like top forty middle of the road you know your song yeah it's a uh, it's a ballad oh yeah so nobody was was expecting this guy to be just crazy on stage <laughs> come Especially out playing a piano you know it was like what yeah it breaks out sort of a, a jerry lee lewis style that yeah. nobody saw coming there yeah that's impressive that's i mean those i hear i've i've heard from several people actually uh you know those first elton john shows in america uh were just some of the best Ever, because you know, I I think actually I'm pretty sure it's Glenn Fry from the Eagles said, you know, he saw his first his first ever at the Troubadour. Yeah, they went to the Troubadour, and that's what broke him in the states. Yeah, the, the everybody he said everybody in the everybody sitting in front of him was like rock royalty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean just to just to get one of those those first shows has to be super cool to see see Elton at that time because yeah. It was before you know he you know it was a couple of years before he all of a sudden he became like this rock god you know coming on with all the flowing robes yeah. and all the, the craziness it was just, just the performance. three guys pounding out yeah just straight ahead rock and roll you, you, you draw your jaw just dropped watching him for sure for sure well speaking speaking of those early days and 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 your your band uh, when did you so when did you switch over to the the Tupelos? How did that switch from your 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 first band to the Tupelos? The Tupelos came about um, started I, when I graduated high school. I, my goal was the college was to to form a band, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. Yeah, and uh, one of the guys that uh, we stayed together for like. 10 years and uh we moved into a, a house up in north jersey for the band to be able to rehearse and play and um there was a um we were playing at cbgb's oddly enough mm-hmm. and uh we're seeing this band and they're like four guys with black suits and they're playing a kind of beetle-ish and this is 76, and there's, yeah. they're playing this kind of Beatles thing. But also, you got to remember, 76 is when disco started yeah. to come in. Yeah. So, you know, four guys with short hair and black Complete suits. Complete opposite. Was, yeah. Yeah. And in those days, with CBs, if you were the opening act on a, a, a Saturday night, Sunday night, you were the closing act. Yeah. And you had to leave all your equipment. You, even if you opened the show on Sunday, you couldn't leave and say, okay, we've got to get out of here with our equipment. You, you had to wait till the last act was done mm. before you could clear out. Mm. And so for two nights, we're looking at these guys, and there was something familiar to me about the guitar, one of the, the guitar players. Yeah. And, uh, and I, couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And it turned out uh, one of the first things we did in, in college was we got a production deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guy's girlfriends was a uh, babysitter for a publisher who has now had a production company. And he, had, he was on, uh, credited on the very first Monkees album. Mm. So we do this, um, our first recording session out in Long Island. Yeah. And the producer brings in a guy to play a slide guitar and a pedal steel guitar. And it turns out to be this guy I'm watching. The group mm. that was playing CBs was 
to Roxburgh. So we go to Showplace, and I go, oh, man, hey, you know, hey. He goes, yeah, 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 we saw you at CB's. I said, no, 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 do you know Ron this and yeah. you know, um, Ron Christie? And I'm, I'm, I'm naming names and going, oh, my God, Trilogy. I go, yeah, you played with us. <laughs> and he completely so forgot. So from there, he tells us that his band has a uh, – uh, it's called Mediatrope, and they're a uh, production company, mm-hmm. and they've got to deal with Dick James music. Now, Dick James is the publisher of the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, who's, he's, he actually, you'll see him in uh, part one of the Get Back series. Mm. He's the guy that's, when he sells his stake in the Beatles, that's how McCartney and them lost their publishing. Mm. So he's the guy who signed Elton John and Bernie Toppin to a de- publishing deal oh, okay. in, in England. Yeah. And now he's starting a record. He has a record company, put out their first record, and he's got a record company in America, mm. and he signs the Roxburghs. Mm. And so they're like, yeah, the, the guys, it's, we were always the band that got signed to a production deal that was the second act. And the second act on a production deal means that they've got a, the first act, they get them signed, and of course... They're now going to be asked, well, what else do you have? Yeah. So they're, they're always, you know, the looking for a, a yeah. second a follow-up act. And we were, the way of like three production deals, we were always that <laughs> follow-up act. And they were the ones that called us the Tupelos. They go, we see the whole, this is before they called it New Wave. Yeah. But they, they, they had, uh, one of the head guys had been to uh, uh, Europe and he said, yeah, he goes, the short haircuts, yeah, the colorless suits. shirts, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, fashion's going to come back in. He said he, when, when they came uh, to do the Roxburghs, they were going to put them in suits with collarless shirts. He said, yeah, take the, take the collars off. And the tailors were like, what are you, out of your mind? <laughs> they go, no, 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 trust me on this. And he was right. Yeah. And they said, we see you as the... Cause um, we were kind of like a country rock act at this point, and they said, we see you as being, uh, they're going to call you the Tupelos because Rockabilly was coming in. Yeah. It was coming back. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how that started. They nice. called us the Tupelos, and the rest is history. So that was a little, that was a little uh, record, uh, record label intervention there, publishing yeah. intervention. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, you can definitely see it. I mean, in the in the old pictures of the Tupelos there, with the suits, with the the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the new age look there, the the short haircuts, the tight haircuts. Um, well, that you know, the thing is that we ended up not going through. We did the we we signed with them, but they let us go because uh, they were having trouble with the Roxers. That was going to break up. The, the, the Roxburghs in itself, I could t- I could spend three hours with the behind the scenes label intrigue that happened with that <laughs> band, but I you know what I was sold. Yeah. I, when they cut my hair, I had hair down to my shoulders, and when they cut my hair, I went yes, this is it. <laughs> it just felt right all of a sudden. Yeah. And we would be like in the uh, we were playing in a place we'd play a place called JP's. It was up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and and the very next block up was Catch a Rising Star and this is like 79, 80. We come in there one day and we've got our, you know, our newly short hair, we've got our, you know, short uh, ties, the skinny ties, the whole thing. And we walk into JP's and the whole place looks like 
Woodstock. I mean, everybody's <laughs> got long hair. They've got beards and mustaches, you know. Yeah. And we're like, wow. It just, it just it was so weird. And then we came back the next week, and everybody had just new was talking about their new haircuts. They yeah. shaved off their beards. And they looked like us, and we're like, what is going on? The, the, the wave. I mean, new wave. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. It was actually, and it was like this, uh, uh, another coming of rock and roll because I had gone to, we had done a demo, and I went to a uh, production company on, uh, in Manhattan, and the guy says to me, he goes, he's listening to my stuff, he goes, and he's, you know, kind of like, yeah, kid, get, you know, get out of here. But he's <laughs> like, yeah, it's nice, nice stuff you're doing, but, yeah. you know, it's disco. All the major labels are telling their acts, they have to do at least one disco song on yeah. their album. Mm-hmm. And I said to the guy, I got off, I said, listen, I'm telling you that by the end, this is early 79, I said, by the end of this year, disco's going to be dead. No. I was, just, you know, and little did I know. You were right. It was. You were very right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it was crazy. it's interesting how, I mean, that's, it's always, you know, the record company's always behind the trends, and the trends are right in front, and there's always those those bands and those artists that they miss because the artist is telling them, Hey, this is going to happen. And the, the, the record company stuck on what makes them money. And obviously up until that point, disco was making them money. So keep doing it until, until that doesn't work anymore. To right. Do some new, uh, new way. Yeah, Tom Petty was just putting out his second album. It was, the pretenders are coming. It was, yeah. it, was, it was a great time. Well, I mean, speaking of those, you you just released uh, a record last year, used records history, uh, right. nineteen seventy nine to eighty five, and that's I mean, essentially those are those are songs you had you had Tupelo songs from that time, and then you had solo stuff after that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I I, I left uh, broke up the band in eighty one and eighty two. I started doing my first solo stuff. Yeah, and I I heard like you actually going back to those those records. That was all by basically being inspired by a journalist who was like looking up the history there of the area. Oh, yeah, 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 how it came about. Yeah, I got this. Um, I'm, I'm at my desk one day. And my wife's uh, just got in the mail, and she's in the other room, and she's going, oh, you got a, a letter from Asbury Park uh, Hotel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I said, yeah, go ahead, read it. And she's reading it. She goes, yes, I've got this. Uh, um, I, I'm hoping that this is the Robert Allen uh, I'm looking for. I'm doing a book on, uh, my publisher wants me to do a book on the early, the, the, the Asbury Park scene from like 78 through 83 or something. Mm-hmm. And he goes, there was a band that played that many of the locals say put on the best rock and roll show they've ever seen called the Tupelos. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I gotta be getting punked here. <laughs> cannot, who the remembers this? Yeah. It turns out he was he was going. He sent me the letter because he was going to be back in uh, London. Yeah, and he gave me his email address. Yeah, and it turns out to be this uh, writer Nick Cohn. And I look him up on Wikipedia, yeah. and he's the guy that wrote this book called A Wop Bop A Wop Bop Bam Boom. It's considered to be the very first rock and roll critique. Like he's considered the father of rock and roll critique. Yeah. So this is the guy that's writing me. Yeah. And I said, how do you know about the Tupelos? He said, yeah. well, he mentions an owner of one of the clubs called the Fast Lane, and he specifically says he had your single with uh, Sweet Little Sixteen. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, right. that's us. Yeah. <laughs> and that, <laughs> so, that got you looking so at all the old stuff. We're in quarantine, 
and I got nothing better to do, and I'm thinking, you know what? Let me listen to those songs again. Yeah. And it, it really kind of inspired me. So when I listened back at, at what we did and, and the, the solo stuff that I started with, it was like, wow, I actually stayed true to myself <laughs> all these years. I'm still, it was like, I was really proud of what I did. Yeah. So I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to put it out. Nice. Nice. Yeah. They, they came out good as far as the, uh, the album there, and it's, it is a good good time capsule for sure as well yeah it was a, it was a, a weird time because right uh the part of that record i included was in 85 i did this uh it was all the only thing that was uh, real on the, on the session was my voice and my guitar mm-hmm. everything else was wind drum machine synthesized bass and yeah keyboards and all that this is 1985 at the same time that's when bon jovi and the whole hair metal yeah. bit, you know thing mm-hmm. is coming in um so it was a strange thing and oddly enough that's 1985 you know go now 30 years um 20 it was i think at the time 25 26 years later i had met a guy out in medam the the big uh, music conference yeah uh and um we hit it off, and he says uh, we stayed in touch, and he's very big into uh, sync licensing. Mm-hmm. So he sends me an email one day, and he says, do you have anything recorded? It has to be recorded like in 84, 85. And I said, eh, it's funny you should say that. And I actually do. And, and because I had gotten a deal with that, I actually was, I started managing in the early 90s, and uh, with one of the contacts in Europe, I actually got a CD. It was actually called Use Records. And the yeah. only reason why I did it was I wanted my music on this thing called CDs. Yeah. Because <laughs> everything was on tape, and it was like I knew that was going to be obsolete pretty soon. Yeah. So because I had that CD from the 90s, now in comes the Internet, and I'm able to make MP3s with it. Nice. So I send him the MP3s, and it turns out that he the the reason why he wants that particular year is the 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 biggest at that time the biggest music supervisor in LA, this mm-hmm. woman called Al- Alexandra Patsavas, her uh, company was uh, Chop Shop Music, mm-hmm. and she's doing the pre sequel to Sex in the City with Carrie. Mm. It's called the Carrie Diaries. Mm when Carrie's just graduating high school and going to New York. In the And 80s. that's around 84, yeah. 85. Yeah. And she wants music True that was time actually period. recorded at that time. And yeah. that one of the songs, Fly Like the Wind, ends up in the show. Nice. The very final, uh, the, there was only two seasons, but at the end of the first season, yeah. it's, uh, it appears there's a party going on that... You know, that's supposed to be Cosmopolitan or wherever she was. Yeah. And there's a, this party with a DJ, and in the background, I can hear my song coming on. Nice. And I'm like, oh my God, this yeah. is amazing. Took- so it just shows you that music is eternal. You yeah. never know what's going to come around. I was about to say, it took 25 years, but it got out there. There it is. Yeah, and it's become, I just had it in... Uh, uh, a Disney flick called uh, Flora and Ulysses. Nice. This year. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, now, you mentioned it there. You sort of, I mean, as far as the individual music, your personal music, you took a little bit of, I mean, essentially, you know, hiatus from your your career uh, and, and focused on other people's music. Uh, yeah. Therefore, uh, yeah, I've 
I mean, when you stopped that in 85 and you started working on independent music label there, did you see yourself having a future in, like, as far as an artist at one, once you started? No, I gave it up. You know, when I was looking to, people said you should be a manager, and people started sending me tapes. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, somebody from L.A. said, hey, have you ever heard this band Shotgun Symphony? I said, no, why? Because they were from New Jersey, and... They just played a show, and they're, they're in, in England, and they're they're great. And I ended up uh, managing them. Yeah. And and later next year, I'm going to put out their last record that we did together called uh, um, "Forget the Rain" because it's the 25th anniversary of when I put it out. Mm. But the thing was, I'm playing with all these amazing people. Yeah. I'm, I'm managing really all these amazing people. Yeah. And and after a while, after like three, four years, I'm like. Wow, I would. I'm, I'm starting to get the itch back. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wonder if I had that guy playing drums for me, what it would sound like. Yeah. And that's how it started. That's how Downtown Mystic came? Yeah, I went in, I said to, uh, I was managing this man called The Discontent, and who was like a cross between Foo Fighters meets Green Day, mm-hmm. but the drummer was this rock-solid guy, and I was like, oh man, I got to... Just for, we're going to go and do some demos, but before we do it, I'd like to cut five or six of my tracks, and I got the bass player and the drummer together, nice. and that's what we did, and that's how it started. Very nice. Now, is is it what came out of that? Was the, was the first album uh, Rock and Roll for the Soul? Was that the first? No, I actually did a thing that was just called Downtown Mystic. Okay. Uh, that would give way to Rock and Roll for the Soul five years later. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, now some of those songs on Rock and Roll for the the Soul are on the the re-released, which you're re-releasing here. Twenty uh, first century rock and roll. Yeah. Right. Very cool. Very cool. I've I've heard you know you you talk about and obviously these are you know solid just they're rock and roll songs. They're what you know honor sort of the honor tradition of rock and roll. Who who are some groups artists you would say? that are making music now, I mean, aside from your music, because obviously that is rock and roll, but who are some other uh, artists now making current music that you would say, these guys make some rock? There's two acts that I I follow because I, uh, one I discovered when I started to promote to uh, Americana Radio, and it's a group out of Austin called The Band of Heathens. Yes. And they're a great, a young, great young rock and roll band that they tour all over. I don't know how they do it. Uh, and Listen, the other one, was listeners a, of the show, no, no band of the heathen, a band of heathen. Oh, great, great, great. We, yeah, you can't beat that. We've had them on the show. Ed's a. Ed's oh, super. A, yeah, Ed's a great guy. Um, love a, his other band, uh, Trigger Hippie. It's a, it's a fantastic band as well. But uh, yeah, Band of Heathens, uh, Duende, and uh, just I mean Hurricane. All the all their songs are so solid. They're they're a good bunch of guys. Yeah, um, and um, the other band that I helped actually get on Americana Radio. Mm. I'm probably the first guy to. I was thinking of, I heard these guys and it was like, oh, I got to get these to somebody in radio that I know. And um, they're called the, the Brothers Landreth. Mm. And uh, Joey Landreth is like, the, it's Joey and Dave. Dave's the older brother and I first contacted. But they came to New York and I said, I got to go see these guys and hit it off with Joey. He'll, he'll tell you that Robert Allen's the first guy that ever came in from New York City to see me. Nice. Uh, an unbelievable, I mean, this guy's like the triple threat. Incredible voice, 
great songwriter and an amazing guitar player. He's just put out an album called All That You Dream. It's seven songs. It's all covers of classic Little Feet songs. Mm. Mm-hmm. So to be covering and trying to, uh, and he's faithful to to the arrangements and all, yeah. to be doing that with Lowell George takes a, a bit of talent. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, well, now... Uh, back back to your songs as far as the, especially the the new the new album here coming out 21st century rock and roll several of these songs you recorded with some some big fella names there Max Weinberg from the uh, Bruce Howling right dude yeah and bass player for Springsteen yeah yeah now how how did you come about recording with uh you know uh, the a great rhythm section like that. Well, um, I had actually met. Uh, it was funny. We were, we were playing JTs mm-hmm. uh, at the end of '79, and we had done that single that I talk about the the, the, the sweet little sixteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I we had we actually did vinyl forty fives, and I thought you know what? And and the thing about JTs, the reason why you played it was a really small place, but it was. You know, the music industry hangout. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. see Billy Joel, I mean, Mick Jagger, I mean, everybody and their brother, including well-known, you know, A&R people, yeah. um, record people. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to put, I'm just going to give them out. I'm just going to put nice. them on all the tables and let people. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the night, the waitress comes up to me. She goes, can I have a... What are your singles for my uh, boyfriend? And I, yeah, yeah, sure, here. Yeah. And, and almost in a second thought, it was like, oh, by the way, who's your boyfriend? She goes, Gary Talent. And I oh, go, man. From the E Street Band? She goes, yeah. <laughs> so the next time we played there, she comes up to me and says, Gary wants to meet you. Nice. He really likes your single. And yeah. I met him and Max at a little place they were playing uh, with Pal Fellow, jazz guitarist. And uh, it went off from there. And actually, we got this, uh, we were playing JPs because we were trying to see if we could get a deal. And yeah. uh, we end up with a production deal uh, from people we met there. And Gary came down and he was our bass player because we didn't have a bass player. Oh, man. Nice. nice. And that's how it started. Man. And so when he, he, bought, a, he bought into a, a recording studio here in Long Ridge, it was about a half hour from where I live now, where I'm actually going back to uh, in a couple months to record the new material. And at the time I met him, they were doing the, the river. No. He came over to my house. We're jamming in downstairs in my house. And yeah. He's playing me Sherry Darling. Yeah. We just cut this the other day. Man. <laughs> like, Very yeah. cool. So, uh, and then it turns out when Max came in to do the session, I, I knew Max, he was a year older than me. We went to the same high school. Yeah. In Columbia high school in Maplewood, New Jersey. Nice. So, uh, I started naming names, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, because I knew that we had, you know, <laughs> same it's, friends. It's funny, man. I feel I feel like even though there's 10 million people in New Jersey, I feel like there's only a few degrees of separation of all the rock and rollers in New Jersey. Yeah, pretty much. But, it's, a, it's a small world. <laughs> it's crazy. And I know, I know most people think of Max in the E Street Band, and of course I do too, but I can't always... I, al- I always think of him as Kono O'Brien's band leader. Like, it doesn't... Ever since he was on there for 20 years, like, that's what I, I think of him and, and Conan. Like, I mean, he's... He well, was, Max was... Even in high school, everybody knew Max was the drummer and yeah. he was in a band that actually I think gets a deal or something but when he graduates high school 
and and you know you remember you used to have assemblies in high school. Yeah. Know, oh yeah. You know, and the the band would be playing. He was he was a drummer for the band all yeah. the time. Yeah. So you always saw him, and when he graduated, he ends up going and he's playing in the pit in broad on Broadway. Yeah. And that's when that's where he auditioned for Springsteen. Man. He was playing in a pit, and and when you found out that yeah, it's like yeah, that makes sense because that's the kind of drummer he was. So like when you talk about. The Conan O'Brien show exactly what really what, what where he is that yeah yeah for sure. Spe- speaking of the few degrees of separation of the uh, the rock and rollers there in New Jersey, we lost one of those members, and I, I noticed that the the release of 21st Century Rock and Roll is in honor of uh, one of those members, Ben Elliott, uh, who passed away there sadly uh, April 5th last year. Uh, but he was a New Jersey original there, and he ran Showplace Recording Studios uh, and just worked with all kinds of, I mean, Keith Richards, he was the personal recording for Keith, uh, Billy Gibbons slash Warren Hayes. I, I know you use Showplace Studios for um, a lot of the records like the Discontent albums. Were all, were all the songs on, on 21st Century recorded with Ben, or did you yeah. just want to pay yeah. tribute with him for the album? No, no, they were all recorded by him. Nice, nice. Uh, how, how, how close were you with Ben? We had a... We, it's funny because it was the discontent. I was putting... I had put... We were recording uh, the... Uh, Shotgun was doing a record, and I had met the band. I was even managing the discontent, but I said, you know what? I'll pay for uh, your studio time for you to go do, they were going to do like six songs. Mm -hmm. And they were doing it with Ben Elliott at Showplace Studios, which I had never, the the weird thing is that Showplace, like I told you, we played with Robert Gordon there, Elliott Murphy. It was a rock club. Yeah, yeah. And in the early 90s, like 91, 92, they cut the place in half. So the bar stayed, it became a go-go bar. And on the other side, was the studio mm-hmm. and Ben ran the studio yeah. as a port owner so that's where it started uh, and I started to uh, co-produce the, the discontent with him and then when uh, you know I started to do my thing so it really started like a 20 year relationship nice. with him nice and every few you know every few months we'd talk we'd touch base or I'd take a ride up there to see what he was up to yeah uh, and we stayed in touch that way very cool but uh, he was just um, you know he's, he's another he's typical you know talk about Jersey characters Ben <laughs> was one of those nice now what now how did you choose the tracks uh, as far as uh, 21st century was it? I, you know, this is my uh, my feeling of trying to keep the the art of rock, real rock and roll. Like Tom Petty was giving a speech, I think, in the songwriters uh, when he was inducted to the Hall of Fame or something. He yeah. said, he goes, you know, rock and roll. It's not easy to make a great rock and roll record. People think it is, but rock and roll swings. Mm-hmm. What we call rock today is not necessarily rock and roll, and then some of it doesn't even have anything to do with rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. So this is really my it's like well we're a, it's a, uh, a a dying genre almost uh, you know uh and you know look Petty's gone uh, Bruce is getting up there and he, it's funny he in his last record he said he goes I don't even know if I could write a rock song anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because you get older and you forget about it, you know what it was like when yeah. you're in your 20s is just a natural kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, so it was like, no, it did, uh, the way I picked them were based on uh, what I felt were my best 
rock and roll songs. Right. Not necessarily the best songs I've written or the most commercial or whatever, but the ones that really, to me, exemplify uh, the different kind of styles of rock and roll that I do. Nice, nice. Now, which one, I mean, going back and listening to them, preparing the album, uh, which one right now are you the highest on? Uh, well, the one that I've always been on is, is the lead, uh, the first track, Lost and Found. Nice. Because that's, as it turns out, that's actually the first track I ever recorded oh. with Ben. Man. And over the years, it was like I had wanted that to be the lead song of an album called Lost and Found. But then when I was going to do it, there was all these albums called Lost and Found. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't do that. <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 it just kind of, the timing turned around and it was like, I'm definitely putting out Lost and Found. And it's just one of these. It's just one of these songs. that's all about the vibe of the song. Uh, it's always been one of my favorites. Nice. And and the drummer uh, from the Discontent, Tommy Mastro, great drummer. And I always he's another guy I always like to honor because sadly we lost him a few years back to uh, Lou Gehrig's uh, disease. Oh, that's tough. That's and tough. And it was yeah. I had seen him in Nashville. He was. Uh, playing the hockey talks down there, trying to break into the scene. Yeah. And like a year or two later, he said his uh, his his foot started to go on, and he couldn't figure out what was wrong. It took him it took him over a year to finally diagnose it. And yeah. This was a guy that you would look at a physical specimen, super healthy, you know, in the gym. Yeah. Uh, the the diet. I mean, he was like a marine. Yeah. And you know, the for him to go out that way, it was like just like tough, yeah. The, the saddest thing—you just could not believe it. Oh yeah, for sure. So well, that's another reason why it's one of my favorites because it's just me and him playing on that song. Nice. I I'm I don't know why I'm partial to I, I'm partial to uh, turn around and go. I uh, turn around and go is a great song. It's it's also one of my favorites because that song I had this music, and I was like. When you get a certain piece of music, like it's like this is not just going to be some hey, hey, you know, we're having fun, da da da. Yeah. It's like no, I got to write something a little bit more to this. Yeah. And my cousin took me to this go-go bar, uh -huh. and it was called uh, Cheeks, which yeah. was just at the time it, it became a very big uh, place in Jersey. Yeah. And uh, we go out there, and the this dancer comes on and her name is star mm -hmm. she's wearing a top hat and she's comes prancing out with a you know it's, it's like she's so hot she stops she turns she puts her foot on the bar so she can lean over mm -hmm. and she plants this wet one on my lips mm -hmm. and my cousin's sitting there and he's like freaking out because you know how many times i come in here <laughs> i've never seen that you know and i said i gotta write that that's Turn around and go. Nice, yeah. nice. I like it. That, oh, like I said, that's. I think that's my favorite. It may, it may change, but right now, that's that's my favorite. Like and the bass player is T.J. Farley from famous New Jersey band Trickster. Oh, there it is. There it is. Nice, nice. Well, you've been putting musical creations together here for the last couple of years. You put out several albums here. Uh, some, you know, some repackaging of several things. Uh, and you, yes. you you mentioned it just now. You're you you are a little bit earlier recording some new material. Is that what you have planned for 2022? Some some new uh, new yeah, records. Yeah, again, we just moved into the house, and I'm putting setting up my computer and all, and my i 
tunes and mm-hmm. you know i had this i had these uh demos so mm-hmm. i played the demos and i'm listening to them and it's like i hadn't heard them in a while and it's all of a sudden it's like you know what that's not too bad when you consider how uh and it's and what you would call beats i had done yeah. this thing uh where there's no there's no band it's just me and guys putting percussion tracks to it and yeah. all and i called them the downtown demo and I said, you know i'm gonna put this out mm-hmm. and the idea is that I'm putting it out ahead of time so that the listener can hear what the demo sounds like compared to what it's going to sound like when I record it in a couple of months. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's a good idea. I've never that, I mean, it definitely... Usually the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They put out the album, it becomes Mm -hmm. successful, and then they go, oh, here's the demos for it. Yeah. That's cool. That is very cool. Well, uh, anything else that you got planned for 2022? Well, like I said, there's the uh, recording of a new album, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is going to be, and really the the, the promotion of uh, creating the uh, 21st century rock and roll is to really kind of be like uh, Downtown Mystic 2.0 to get it to a yeah. bigger audience. Very cool. Um, I, I've come to the point where, you know, I've got music in over 200 TV shows. Now's the time just to throw it out there to uh, and try to get it to a, a wider uh, set of years, yeah. and uh, like I said, uh, there's also going to be the first time digital release, 25 year anniversary of this album, uh, Forget the Rain by the band Shotgun Symphony, Very cool. and this one, I think, will blow some people's minds, considering it's 25 years and nobody ever probably heard of this. Yeah. But the producer, Tom Fletcher... Um, the band was on tour. He was working for Steve Lukather, and he actually was the guy who came to me. I played him those tracks that are on used records, and he yeah. said, "You know," and he particularly liked what you're saying. Turn around, he goes, "You know yeah. what I would do?" He goes, "I would just do that uh, with guitars and a, a live band." Nice, and it stuck in my head. And watching him work an SSL board, yeah, just it was like it was like I got to I got to record again he got you in there well i'm glad he did i'm glad he did uh robert we are up against a break but i want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today well i appreciate it doc good talking to you yeah listeners you can keep up with uh downtown mystic at downtownmystic.net or you can stream all the music on apple or spotify uh 21st century rock and roll is going to be out in january right now let's take a listen to that first track lost and found right here on the doc g show
the doc a g show you just heard uh a robert allen with downtown mystic there yes one of his songs coming off of the the new album 21st century rock and roll good stuff um mike i looked up the menu of course to asabuco while uh the music was playing and it is definitely a good thing that i do not live beside that restaurant because i would eat (laughs) everything in that restaurant like literally so true i don't see a single thing on the dinner menu that i would not love to eat like and i bet you they make it good too i bet you that place is solid i i next time i am up to see some of my friends in new jersey i'm going i'm doing it Hmm. get that fettuccine and wild mushrooms sauteed butter sage Mm. cream sauce what yeah. Get out of town. My God. Stuff rigatoni. Oh. Oh, gosh. How do you even stuff rigatoni? I mean, how do you do Oh, do you, you keep you, it? Uh, they do That's it. Fact. Country chicken? Country chicken. Pieces of chicken, sausage, peppers, onions, mushrooms, potatoes, and a brown sauce? Oh, get out of town. That brown gravy on that country chicken? You kidding me? You kidding me? Mm-hmm. Oh, Gosh, the, so the good. Northeast Italian, they know how to do it, man. They, yeah, they know do. how to do it. Grandma's homemade meatballs for the appetizer? Oh, no. That looks like trouble right there. That looks like trouble. Anyways, guys, do yourself a favor <laughs> and uh, listen to, to Robert's stuff there. Downtown Mystic, fantastic talking to him. Uh, getting to play with Max Weinberg, too. Do you remember, do you remember Max from Conan? Uh, um, yeah. 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 He was, uh, yeah. The drummer. He was one of the band guys. Yeah, yeah. Drummer. Yeah. He was the lead drummer. Like, that's what I told Robert is I, I, uh, you know, he, he played, I know you're not super huge on the, the classic rock, Mike. Uh, he played with Bruce Springsteen. That's originally where he came from. He played nice. uh, in the E street band for like 15 years, but because wow. uh, he played longer than that, actually, they had a time in the middle where he disbanded and then he came back. Um, but, uh, because of that, I, I just can't not think of Max Weinberg from Conan, though. Like, that's 
all I ever think about him from is Conan. Like, I don't think of him as a rock and roll drummer, which is bad because he's totally a rock and roll drummer. But all I think about mm-hmm. him is having staring contests with Conan. It's just, <laughs> it's just what I, it's just what I think of. I can't. I'm sorry, Max. Conan ruined you for me. I can't. I'm sorry. Actually, I don't know. I'd say probably enhanced. Did fantastic hmm. on Conan. Anyways, thanks to Robert. <laughs> Fantastic talking to him. Uh, Mike, are you ready? We've got two birthday suits left. Yeah, let's do it. I don't know. That wasn't enthusiastic, Mike. That was like, (laughs) "Ah, I'm probably going to get these wrong. Uh, I guess Rihanna earlier. That was, yikes. I think you can get one of these. I'm going to say at least one. Uh, The first one, born on December 8th, 1985 in Atlanta, Georgia. Our birthday suit wearer's parents both loved basketball. His mom was on the inaugural women's basketball at Morris Brown College. In 2004, our birthday suit wearer led his high school team to a 31-2 record and a state title, averaging 25 points, 18 rebounds, 8.1 blocks, and uh, 3.5 assists a game. What? Mm. That's a stat sheet right there, man. You average How many blocks that per game. Eight point one. Eight point one. Wow. He was chosen as a McDonald's All American, and in two thousand four, he decided to go straight to the NBA like his hero, Kevin Garnett. He was selected mm. number one overall by the Orlando Magic. He Ooh. finished the season averaging over a double double, becoming the youngest player to ever do that. He was the first player to ever come directly out of high school and start all 82 games his rookie season. He went on to play eight years with the Magic, where he was a seven-time All-NBA player, an eight-time All-Star, a three-time Defensive Player of the Year, a five-time NBA rebounding leader, and a slam-dunk competition winner. Since playing for the Magic, he's played for the Lakers, the Rockets, the Hawks, the Hornets, the Wizards, the Lakers, the 76ers, and once again, he's back at the Lakers, where he won a championship in 2020. Name that birthday suit where? Dwight Howard. Yes, Dwight Howard. You said it. Uh, You said it and you can't take it back and I'm fine with it. There we go. Dwight Howard is correct. Yes. Uh, I mean, Superman. you know, I've heard over the last couple of years there after he left from Orlando, People would have these, you know, sports conversations about where they're like, "Oh, he he's not gonna make it to the uh, he's not gonna make it to the Hall of Fame." Wait, what? And I'm like, "What? Why not? Huh? Why 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 wouldn't he make it to the Hall of Fame? Like, I mean, listen to that listen to that achievement list again. Seven time All Star, uh, All NBA player, eight time All Star, three time Defensive Player of the Year, five time Rebounding Leader, and Slam Dunk Competition winner. Come on, come on, yeah, nice. like, and, and now he's won a championship. Granted, he didn't do too much for that. You know, not, it's not like he did a whole yeah. bunch for that. But he was there. He had counts. Yeah, he was you there. Know? Anyway, he played some minutes. Anyways, he's, you know, uh, Dwight Howard seems like a pretty nice guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Kobe, Kobe really run him, ran him down when he was on the Lakers that first go round. That that I didn't thought work that out. team, I thought that team was going to destroy. Yeah, that's. I, like, I, I think that's going to be crazy. That's what really tarnished his. Uh, I think his his reputation there was everybody thought that, and then not so much. Not so much. Uh, Not so much. Okay, next uh, birthday suit. Let's get let's let's finish two for two, Mike. We can do it. 
Okay. Uh, born in Melbourne, Florida, December 8th, 1943. Hmm. Since his father was in the military, our birthday suit wearer moved around a lot growing up. He lived in San Diego. He lived in Northern Virginia and Kingsville, Texas as well. Our birthday suit wearer was fascinated with reading. His senior English teacher said he read as much and probably more than any other student in the class, but everything he read was so offbeat, I had another teacher who was going to the Library of Congress to check to make sure these books actually existed. Jeez. After high school, he went to Florida State University and was arrested for drunken behavior at a football game. He then transferred to UCLA. In 1965, he formed a band with three other artists and became the singer of that new band. They titled themselves The Doors. They released their first single, Break On Through, in 1966. The band went on to release seven albums with singles like Light My Fire, People Are Strange, Touch Me, Roadhouse, Blues, L.A. Woman, Riders of the Storm, and many others. Sadly, our birthday suit wearer died in 1971. The band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The song Light My Fire was inducted to the Grammy Hall of Fame. Three of their albums are on the Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, and they are known as one of the greatest classic rock bands of all time. Name that birthday suit where? Um, like his face. I see his face, but the name okay. is not Okay, I'll give me. you initials. J.M. Hmm. J.M. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still... Anything? Uh, Nah, I still got nothing. I'm sorry. Jim Morrison. Ah, Jim Morrison. You I still probably it. would have gotten that, but I know. You I know knew the face. it. You knew yeah, it. You saw that. You saw that stare. That piercing stare he has yeah. in most of uh, most mm-hmm. of his uh, posters. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Love some Doors though. I love some Doors songs. They're a fantastic group, man. Uh, yeah. Had an interesting. You know, I knew he was from Florida. He got banned from Florida at one point too for his shenanigans on uh, his as uh, as one wedding goer would call it his antics on stage. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, fantastic artist, obviously known as a poet. There, very big into poetry, very big into symbolism. But man, I love the song. I mean, L.A. Woman. Riders of the Storm, those are jams mm. right there. Light My Fire, oh, that's some good stuff. That's some good stuff, man. Uh, I need to listen. I need oh, to yeah. give it you a need, real good listen. Need to put it on your classic rock yeah. list there. Put it on. Put it on. Uh, happy birthday to Jim. He would have been turning uh, 78. 78. Sadly died at the uh, classic rock and roll uh, age of 27. Uh, he joined the 27 Club with, uh, you know, Kurt Cobain, with Tupac, uh, yeah. with he may uh, have, Janis I Joplin. Feel like didn't he, he start it? Didn't he start the 27 Club, or was Janis Joplin maybe before or after him? Uh, maybe Jimi Hendrix? They were Jimmy all Hendrix. around the same time, that's ah, for sure. Okay. They definitely, ah, I mean, fine. he was 71. Uh, I think Janis Joplin was after that. It might have been the same year. I'm not sure. Mm. They're yeah. all very close. Follow up. I'm going to let you know what years those are. That's hmm. I should know that, and I'm embarrassed that I don't. Follow up. I will tell you all three of those and anyone else that is in the 27 Club. <laughs> we will get to know. Um, okay. 
Anyways, Mike, we have some fantastic shows coming up for the last show of the year. Can't wait. Then we're going to take a little break. I got to warn you listeners, we're going to take a break. Don't worry. We're going to come back. So all the folks in Brazil, the folks in Germany, don't give up on us. We're coming back. No. It's just we, we got to take a break or I'll go insane because, yeah. uh, you know, I put so much into this show, Mike. So much. So yeah. much. And by that, I, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, I put a little effort nope. in. Uh, by mm-hmm. normal people standard, I put a little effort in. So mm-hmm. I need I need to take a little break, you know, gather yeah. my thoughts and make the show Acceptable. better, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to do. But before we take that break, we're going to have a great show. So I can't wait for next week's show. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. But until then, I've been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, Mike Maximus, the Fernicus Charette. Thank you for being on the show, sir. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. For sure. And until next week, zip it up and zip it out. Zippity-doo-dah.